when I first started and actually started picking stocks, I wanted to basically I hate holding stocks that don't give that don't pay me to hold them. So I love the concept of dividends that they pay me to invest in their company. You can chuckle at me, but uh, the Four Dummies book is what st- set me on starting to learn about this. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, episode 215. Happy December, everybody. This is Clark here with my co-host, Jace. Jace, what's going on? Hey, man, I'm just I'm just pumped. We are getting beautiful weather here in Texas. We're still going out to the lake right now. I know some people in the north feeling the feeling the cold already, but man, it's it's a it's the most beautiful time of the year right now. It's crazy for us right now. I'm loving it. Pretty nice to have that in December, right? Yeah, it's like high 70s, low 80s every day. Little unseasonably warm, but I'm taking it, man. I'm loving it. What does that mean? Does that mean there's going to not be a great ski season this year or is it totally uncorrelated? I, heck, I don't know, man. I'm not the weather man. No idea. Yeah, anyway, what. Hopefully yeah. we can get a few ski days in. Yeah, I'm going to go skiing hopefully in February, I think right now, but... Maybe January too, but we'll see. But yeah, I, I definitely want to get a few good ski days in, but I'm enjoying this weather right now, that's for sure. Yeah. All right, well, let's kick off this week's episode with a, a listener question from Craig. So we'll play that now. Hi, my name is Craig. Love the podcast. I get so much information from it. What I would like to know more in depth for the millionaires that you interview that have a sizable amount of cash where do they keep their cash? What type of account? Or is it just sitting in the local bank earning hardly any interest like mine is? Thank you very much. Keep up the great work. All right. So he talks about cash balances, Jace, where millionaires keep their cash, what they do with it. Is there a better alternative than just a primary savings account in a local bank? What have we heard from millionaires? What are they doing with cash and how much are they holding? Yeah, man. I, some of them are just putting it on their mattress, right? I'm just kidding. No, this is an interesting question. And I think it is something that all millionaires have a struggle with to some degree at some point in their life, right? You either have a liquidity event, whether it's selling a business, selling real estate, you know, getting a bonus, some sort of event causes a, a large influx of cash. And we've heard all sorts of different things, right? From, hey, I'm just going to hold it for a year or two and figure out, you know, at, at what point do I deploy it or what assets I deploy it into. I'm going to, you know, dollar cost average into the market, or I'm going to go find another piece of real estate to buy, or I'm going to, you know, try to find another business. Right. And, you know, Clark and you and I were talking not too long ago, we were hanging out with Dave Ramsey and, you know, basically you know, we we're having this conversation with him and basically kind of came down to, Hey, you know, there's only a few things you can do with your money at some point in your life, right? You're either going to give it, you're either going to spend it, or you're going to invest more. And so I think in terms of what millionaires do with their cash is basically that, right? Figure out whether you're going to invest more of it and what that investment vehicle might be. You're going to essentially spend it and use it and enjoy it, or you're going to figure out how to give some of it away. And so I don't have a great answer what most millionaires are doing when they get these large influxes of cash. What I do know is they are actively going, you know, whether it takes a year or two back into whatever that strategy is that they've been trying to deploy, whether it's back into real estate or whether it's back into business or whether it's, you know, give some of it, save some of it, use some of it or whatever. They're not just going to keep it, you know, essentially in a bank account and collect dust when banks are paying, you know, a half a percent or something. Yeah, agreed. So, Craig, thanks for writing in. I mean, I agree with Jace. There's no one thing that we point to or that we've heard of that said, hey, this is what people are doing. The highest interest savings accounts that we know of that are most popular are the Goldman account by Marcus and Ally Bank. Those are the ones that we hear most on this show, but they've reduced their rates substantially since COVID-19. I think at one point they were like, what, Jace, 1.1 or point? Yeah, they were paying almost or something. They were paying over one for a while. I, I personally have a Marcus account. I've had one for quite a while, but 
Yeah, they were paying pretty well. And now, obviously, with interest rates dropping like a rock, I mean, it's been down at, I don't even know if it's a half a percent right now, but I. I, no, I think it's below. Yeah. yeah. I think it's 0.02, 0.02 or something. But that's not so, the place to park cash, you know? Yeah. So if you want to sit on cash, I mean, that might be a little bit better than your just your savings bank. But anyway, it's, it's no good, right? Obviously, we know that. The only other option, Craig, that we've heard is, is people just averaging into the market. So we've had a few episodes where people say, hey, I don't keep my emergency fund in cash. I have 50, 100, 200, $300,000 in a traditional brokerage account, and I feel like that's my cash. So I don't sit on 20, 30,000 in my emergency fund. I just pour everything into a traditional index fund. And if it drops 50%, I have $200,000 in there. Boom, I still have 100,000 in my emergency fund. So I don't really worry about just sitting on cash. So I think that's kind of the other mindset that we've seen. And then obviously what Jace just said, pouring it into investments is the other alternative if you're in real estate or, or small business. So thanks, Craig, for writing in. And, and anybody else, if you want to ask a question to us or to one of our millionaires, Go to our website, millionairesunveiled.com, hit Ask a Millionaire, and you can record a question there using SpeakPipe, or you can write one into us at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. So a quick recap from last week's episode, we had Derek, or sorry, this week we have Derek, net worth 1.1 in the military and currently lives overseas, about 95, so nearly all of his net worth in mutual fund stocks, a little bit of crypto and some cash. So great, interesting episode with Derek, talks about his mistakes lessons learned, including a bit a Bitcoin Ponzi scheme that he was involved in. So that's one that we haven't heard before on the show. Last week, we had Hannah Networth of 750, and she wrote into us after her episode aired this week and said that she's now at a million dollars. That that episode was recorded several months ago. So she's now reached a millionaire. So congrats to her. Uh, thanks to everybody who listens and tunes in. If you enjoy the show, we appreciate you leaving a five-star review on any of the platform that you listen to this week. We got one from N-E-M-N, Lake Girl. So I don't know. What is that, Jason? Nebraska, Minnesota, Lake Girl. She says, I really enjoy this podcast. Hearing the great stories of how they have invested, solidified their careers, and planned for retirement is intriguing. So thanks for that review, and thanks, everybody, for listening. And without any further delay, let's get right into the episode with Derek. Derek, do you want to just give us a little bit about your background and what you're up to now? Hi, my name is Derek. I'm a nuclear LDO, uh, limited duty officer for the military, and I have approximately $1.1 million in assets. Awesome. And how is your net worth broken up? Uh, my net worth currently is broken up about 95% in uh, mutual funds and individual stocks, 2% in crypto, and the rest is in cash. Uh, I invest in a couple different platforms, whether it be M1 Finance, Wealthfront, but most of my money is in Vanguard. Wow, that's quite the, the, the breakup there. So you've got a majority of it invested in equities and you said individual stocks. Is any of that in, in tax-protected or, or retirement uh, tax-deferred accounts? Uh, yes, I have my uh, military thrift savings plan, which is approximately 110000 Uh I have three, sorry, uh, another 129000 in retirement accounts. And I have the rest in taxable. And you said individual stocks. So do you invest heavily in individual stocks? There are certain ones that you try to pick and, and hold for a while, or is it mainly you know mutual funds that, that you're invested in with a few stocks that you're picking here and there just for kicks? Uh, so I have been transitioning from I thought I was smarter than the market. And as I got research, I put a lot of money into individual stocks. So right now I have... $370,000 in mutual funds that I just start, don't touch and hold. Another $50,000 in some other not broad-based index. And then the rest is in individual stocks that I'm slowly transitioning over into mutual funds. I'm trying to, I'm learning about how to be more tax advantaged to uh, not pay taxes and get those funds sold off. So I do have a couple individuals like I, Bought Tesla at 200. I got Apple at a good price. So I've tried to pick some winners. Uh, I was heavy into dividend investing for about two years, but uh, I'm slowly seeing the error of my ways of what actually works. I was just about to ask if there was a, a favorite stock of choice or two, but you threw out Tesla and Apple, which are, are very popular. Are there any others that that you like that you might hold for a while? Uh, Johnson and Johnson, I like. Uh, they've done pretty good for me. AT&T, I enjoyed. 
Uh, a lot of these ones that I've held are basically just long-term dividend kings, dividend aristocrats, things of that nature. And then I uh, sampled a couple of things that I kind of regret now, but I've just been holding them until I decide to sell them. Let me ask, when you initially invested in those stocks, you mentioned the dividend aristocrats. Was that the big motivator for investing in individual stocks? Was just cr- collecting that dividend that that you were going to get? Uh, yeah. When I first started and actually started picking stocks, I wanted to basically. I hate holding stocks that don't give that don't pay me to hold them. So I love the concept of dividends that they pay me to invest in their company. So that's where a lot of the stuff came from. I was smart enough not to fall into dividend traps. You know those very high yield over 10, 20% yields and stick with known companies, call it Coke, call it uh, 3M, things of that nature. Yeah, totally. You mentioned you've got a little bit in cryptocurrency. How did that come about? Uh, so fast forward onto a deployment. Uh, I was standing watch with one of my friends and he, as we always do in the military, we trade stories while uh just, you know, back and forth to pass the time. He told me about this thing called Bitcoin and Bitcoin miners in there. And I had no idea what he was talking about. But I stand watch every about 15 hours with this guy. So he keeps on talking about it and said, oh, I'm making a great return on investment. It's so easy. All you got to do is just buy these things called miners and they basically make you money. So I was young and dumb and kind of listened to him and uh, I jumped in without fully understanding what a Bitcoin was and things of that nature. Uh, that led to some nice uh, le- hard lessons learned after that. Yeah, I want to get in, into those, but, but just on your allocation here real quick, you do not have a primary residence, is that correct? That's correct. Uh, I am in the military and I've been living in military housing. I've been stationed overseas uh for a while. And then let's see, I'm currently in Guam. Previous to this, I was only in Virginia for a year before I was transferring. And then I was in Japan. And then uh, for the two years I was in Japan, I also had a year where I was on deployment. So I really didn't have a residence. So there has been a great opportunity for me to get into real estate. It's probably my biggest regret in the military is not using the uh, military, which gives you an allowance for housing to buy a residence at each location. But I wasn't smart enough back then, and uh, I'm always still learning. So, But I'm doing okay. I'm not, I don't regret it. <laughs> yeah, totally. I was just about to ask. We've had quite a few military members on the show, and one thing that we have noticed is there's kind of two schools of thought. One is the school of thought that you're doing where, hey, I'm just going to rent. I'm getting, you know, I'm transferring all over and I don't want to manage rentals all over the country or potentially all over the world. The other school is, hey, I'm going to collect a rental everywhere I go and I'll just figure out while I'm there for that year or two or whatever, I'm going to get, you know, processes, systems in place and, and have somebody manage it for me. And we've had a few be really successful with that. We've had a few in your shoes that regret doing it. And now I've turned to just rentals and we've had others that continue to rent, but buy, you know, cash flowing real estate from overseas. So kind of seeing all sorts of that, that side of the spectrum as it relates to the military and the approach to, to go. And for you, you're kind of in the middle, I guess. You decided that you weren't going to do it or didn't think about doing it, and now you maybe regret it, but you've done okay. So it's not, you know, it's not, the, it's probably not detrimental to, to your success, right? Yeah. I will say it was a very intentional decision not to get into it because when I joined in 2003, I had to go through about two years of schooling. And then I finally got into the ship where I'm a junior sailor and I was single. So you don't get uh, allowances to live off of. Uh, off base until you at least make E5 or you're married or you've been E4 for about four years. So there's a period of time where it wasn't feasible. I ended up getting my first uh, re-enlistment, getting my first chunk of cash right about that 2000, 2007, 2008 time. And I was looking very heavily into buying a residence at that time. But we all know what happened right around that time when the bubble burst and everything was doom and gloom. So then my cash just sat there, a good $100,000 from my reenlistment, just sitting in cash in my a money market account. But it so, was intentional. <laughs> yeah. So how many, how many different places have you moved around, Eric? 
since I left my house in New Hampshire in uh, 2003, uh, I'm not really going to consider the schooling where they had me in South Carolina and New York uh, residences because those were a short term. But I've lived in uh, Virginia. Uh, I actually lived in uh, Saratoga Springs, New York for a stint there, uh, overseas in Japan, back to Virginia, and uh, now I'm currently in Guam. And my next duty station is going to be in Virginia again. Wow. And and for those of us that aren't familiar, including myself here, how many do you have any say at all in where you go or how long you stay? <laughs> so when you get military orders uh, and you're negotiating for orders is what we call it. You talk to your detailer typically and they say, here's what I have for you. And they give you the illusion of choice, which is pretty funny. Uh, they say, hey, I've sometimes, like for me in this case, I was given the choice of Guam on one of the tenders or Guam in the other tender. Uh, now that I'm <laughs> in a little bit more, uh, I actually was going to go to uh, California for my next duty station. My wife had selected that, but then she found out that with the deployment and the availability period, basically where they do repairs on the carrier, uh, we would have spent of the three years in California, me being gone for two years and change. So they ultimately mm. decided that it'd be better for us for a family to go to Virginia. So at least with the deployment, it's only uh, six to 11 months these days on deployment. And then do you know where you'll be after that or you just wait for another assignment? Uh, I pretty much uh, wait for another assignment. Uh, I'm in a very unique situation right now since I'm about to make a lieutenant. Uh, and according to the data that they give us, they need a lot of people to fill what's called a spot promote billets. So there's a chance I'll be able to go into an 04 billet early. And at that point, there's only a smat, you know, only a few billets available for that. So I'll go where the Navy needs me to go at that point. But a lot of them are in Virginia. It's again, the illusion of choice. You always select your orders, but uh, they detailer, the Navy gets what the Navy needs. Fair. So let's just back it up here and talk about your story, and then we'll, we'll get more in, into the investing side of things. So you, you joined the Navy at what age and why? I, I know your your father, right, was in the military as well. So tell us a little bit about your upbringing and how you got to join the Navy. All right. So uh, I'm a fourth-generation sailor, so I'm the son of a son of a son of a sailor. Uh, my, uh, my upbringing, I was pretty much lower middle class. My parents had like two cars and stuff. We weren't very affluent, uh, but uh, my father and mother put it this way. If you want a car at high school, you're going to have to work for it. So I ended up doing summer jobs. Uh, I worked as a busboy at a Chinese restaurant. Uh, you'd be surprised how many people don't think that a white guy can work at a Chinese restaurant, but you can. Uh, I also was a cashier in there, so I have definitely learned the service side of the industry as a child. I moved around a lot, uh, so I was a military brat. So... Uh, my current career being in the military doesn't bother me. When I was thinking about what to do in high school, I knew I was relatively smart. But uh, looking back, I was lazy. I uh, could get some scholarships, but I didn't really want to get saddled with $50,000, $100,000 of debt. So I had seen that my father joined the military and uh, had the GI Bill. So for me, that was like a no-brainer. I can join the military, get paid get money for college on the outside, and figure out what I want to do. So mid uh, at the beginning of my senior year, I ended up uh, doing what's called the delayed entry program, which was where you say you're going to join the military, but you don't really. The real benefit to that is you lock in a position, and after 20 years, that time counts towards retirement. So that's kind of a neat thing. Then I graduate high school and uh, joined the military. My father told me one thing when I, he signed the paper to let me join the military. He said, whatever you do, don't become an effing nuke. So as most children do, I completely ignores it, it is vice, and I became a nuke to get the sign-on bonus, the extra college, and a bunch of other stuff. What's a nuke? Uh, so in the military, uh, nuke, there's just the nuclear power program where they are the people that run the nuclear reactors in different fashions. So they run the safety and support systems, the mechanical systems, and things of that nature. So sometimes people say, oh, they're the smartest person in the room, but they have no common sense. 
my brother can attest to that. He says, Derek, you're the smartest, or sorry, the stupidest dumb guy I know. Wait, I got that wrong. <laughs> the stupidest smart guy I know. I'm apparently not good at those uh, sayings, but uh, I will definitely say that he has, there is some truth to that statement. Nukes are known for lacking common sense, uh, and that's a 100% true statement. So was your dad pushing you to join or pushing you against joining or he'd not really take a, take a side either way? Uh, so my dad just presented the options to me. Uh, my parents were very big on us learning and deciding our own course of action. We choose our own fate. The information was put in front of us and what we did was how we can do it. So that was very good that they really kind of, they didn't spoon feed us or push me towards a path. They let us choose our own fate. Like right. my sister became a chef. My brother uh, did a little college and now he's working on the outside for other stuff. So they le really let us, you know, spread our wings. And how were they with their finances? Did they teach you financial education or did you get that from them? Or how were they with everything there? Uh, my dad uh, did teach me financial education. Uh, I just ignored him. He taught me the rule of uh, compounding the 7%, you know, gain every year or double in what is it, 11 years, I think is a statistic, something like that. Uh, but I didn't understand what he taught me until my mid twenties. Uh, it's probably why I left a lot of cash sitting on the table. Cause while I have about 1.1 million right now, I didn't actively start investing until probably 2015, 2016 of actively managing my money. Uh, I just always did the, do I have more money at the end of the uh, pay period than the last? Did I put some money away? Great. I'm doing good. My mother and father end up getting divorced over money. He liquidated their retirement accounts to open up business, and that was what ultimately made them divorce. So there's definitely didn't get the – I got a financial background, but again, I didn't understand what the information that was put in front of me. Yeah. Did the business work out? Uh, eventually, based on his uh, divorces, plural, uh, and he ended up losing it based on some things of that nature. Mm. So if, if he had been able to keep, if he hadn't had some divorce and some other things that happened, it would have done very well. But he's very smart. He has like multiple degrees. Uh, but so I've used his examples as a positive and negative to find what I can get. And I'm kind of going my own path. Yeah. Okay, so you graduate high school, you sign up for the Navy, you sign on to become a nuke and, and keep going from there. What happened next? So went through various careers and that stuff. Uh, I got a couple of always saved more money at the end. So I was always having my bank account go up, did a couple of reenlistments. Uh, and for the nuclear field, they give you some very hefty bonuses. Uh, as I stated before, 2007 and eight happened where I had cash. I was about to invest and then the housing market crashed. Uh, so then I just left that money in a money market account, uh, getting something like $130 a month in interest, a very good use of the money at that point. Continued on with the military, uh, did another reenlistment. Then around, I think it was 2011 or 12, we had another small little blip in the drop in the stock market, drop in the housing market and things of that nature. So again, I reenlisted and just kept the money on the sidelines. I had a kind of key pivotal point when I did this uh, instructor tour in uh, Boston Spa, uh, where I basically, uh, in the military, as weird as it sounds, uh, they test your physical fitness and make sure you're still in height weight standards. Well, for the first time in my career, I was called what's called a rope and choked, where I was just barely at the standards. It was, luckily, it was a courtesy one, so there's no negative impacts to me. But uh, that turning point uh, ended up being a big turning point where I started focusing on myself, both physically and uh, mentally. Uh, I bought my first investing book right there to try and understand what my father told me. Uh, it was investing for dummies. You can chuckle at me, but uh, the four dummies book is what set me on starting to learn about this. I bought a couple of individual stocks at that point and because uh, Vanguard had just contacted me because my account had set, my money had sat in the account so long they thought I was dead without touching it. So that was pretty amusing to me. Yeah, that's pretty uh, crazy. Yeah, uh, I can definitely tell you take action is probably one of the biggest lessons that you can learn. I want to say, I don't remember who said it, but 
time in the market is better than timing the market. So doing something with your money is better than doing nothing is definitely a life lesson. I want everyone to just know. I like I that. That saying, that's the first I've heard that. Yeah, I, I can't, I, I'm stole it from somebody, but, uh, I like it. At that point, I was doing individual stocks, just dividends, things that paid me for that. Uh, I had at one point probably 20 different individual stocks and no mutual funds at that point. <laughs> so I was all over the place in there. I didn't really research the companies as well as I should have and things of that nature. So I've been spending many years slowly selling off winners and selling off losers. And when I say winners, I mean I got my basis back. So I didn't like make a good return on any of these things. All right. We'd like to thank Inkle for sponsoring this week's episode. If you're like me, keeping up with the news has become a real pain. All the best news sites are locked behind paywalls, and the free stuff can often be just clickbait or fake news that we don't want to waste time on or don't want to read. Imagine an app where we can get unlocked access to the reliable news sites, an app that filters out fake news and clickbait, but still shows you every story from multiple perspectives to counter bias, where good news, as in positive stories, is highlighted so you don't become despondent, and where journalists dig through news from around the world to find stories you normally wouldn't see. That's what this company, an Australian startup called Inkle, that's I-N-K-L, has come up with. Inkle.com has signed partnerships with over 100 news sources like The Economist, The Atlantic, and Bloomberg, and created a unique system combining journalists and algorithms to create a best-of-news feed. The service can unlock more than $12,000 of premium news for just $100 a year. If you go now to Inkle, dot com slash millions again that's inkle.com slash millions they'll give you an additional 25 percent discount so 25 percent or 25 bucks off you can get a whole year's worth of headache free news for just 75 dollars again that's inkle.com forward slash millions and they're just a news curator where they can put everything into one place and grab exactly what you're looking for so thanks again to inkle for sponsoring today's show and let's get back into the episode with derek so as you've gone on this journey and and you've basically call it self-taught or self-education, you obviously pulled from a couple. Has there been one resource or one book that's been the most influential in you, in your life and getting you to this point? Oh, a series of books actually at that sort of turning point had me this. I found the uh, four-hour work week and that lead, led me into a Rich Dad, Poor Dad and eventually, uh, it was, um, J.L. Collins' book, A Simple Path to Wealth. Like, those three books all kind of came up into my reading at the same time. And I've always understood that I didn't want to work after the military because they give you retirement. But I never understood what the concept of financial independence was until I read about those three books right there. And that was the key turning point was those three books of, oh, make money work for you. You know, you don't have to work. You're very hard at certain things, which is why I just kind of shied away from real estate again, because I'm like, I don't want to have to deal with tenants. And then uh, the concept of uh, a simple path to wealth is, you know, buy mutual funds. And then I started doing some research into that, and then it completely shifted my investing outlook. Yeah, totally. So Derek, where do you go from here? Are you trying to get to a target net worth or, or a passive income goal down the road? Uh, the goal I've kind of set for myself is to be able to replace the, when I leave the military, I'm going to get something like 65%, 70% of my, uh, base pay, uh, in retirement. And what I'd like to do is have, uh, my dividends and my net worth and investment account be able to actually match that, uh, delta from there. So realistically doing the math, I want to be able to draw very easily about $85,000 a year uh, in assets without doing any work whatsoever. That'll let me uh, reach my retirement goal. Uh, I plan to be one of the Disney boat driver, you know, and just chat with people all day. <laughs> I've got a sounds lot of, like uh, my dad. Of it seems what? like a great job. You know, you just go there, chat with people, have a good time. The uh, happiest place on earth, right? Yeah, that's exactly that. Uh, I come from... The military is very high stress, high responsibility. So whatever I do after the military in the seven to 10 years I have left in there, I want it to be stress-free and I don't want to have to work. 
I've come to grips with what enough is. So knowing that I can be happy and support my wife and we can be together, we know that if we have around this much, we will always be happy and can live wherever we want and do whatever we need. That's kind of where the financial independence is. I've slimmed down what, you know, I don't waste money on lots of things. I will never buy a new car every year. I'm not going to buy more house than I need and things of that nature because that's just a waste of money. Yeah. When do you think that you'll hit that goal? Uh, if I keep on my projections right there, uh, I realistically, in about five years, I think I'll actually meet that goal. But because as I, you get further into the military, you get more pay and you get more uh, rank, uh, I, I keep on shifting that goal higher. So it makes me always want to refocus and try and, you know, just get a little bit more. But uh, based on my calculations, probably about five years from now, based on my projected path of growth. Yeah, so let's just say five years you hit that. You mentioned being in the military, getting a little bit higher rank, more pay. Do you think you'll be able to walk away from it and really go and pursue that as a, as a boat driver in five years? Or do you think it'll be a little <laughs> bit farther down the line? Uh, because I have a 10-year commitment, uh, I think I said this before, but I'm a limited duty officer now. That means I was enlisted and went to officer. Uh, so there's a 10-year commitment. The military says, hey, we're going to make you an officer, but you need to give us 10 years time. So that puts me at about 26 years of service in there, which is about 2027 20, minimum. And if I still like the military, I'm just going to stay in and keep on working to do that. As long as my wife can do that, it's a pretty good job. It's very satisfying, and it really helps me to get that stuff. And it doesn't hurt that every year I put in for the military is another 2.5% of uh, not, not annuity. Uh, what's the word I'm searching for? Uh, pension. pension. Yeah. Yes. So I know you wanted to get back to my Bitcoin and my financial mistake. Uh, yeah. Let me, let me just ask you real quick, though. You said you just told Jace I have a pretty good idea of what is enough now. Mm-hmm. So what, what is enough? Uh, enough for me is going to be around that $80,000. That leaves me easily able to pay for a $2,000 a month or more, or probably $2,000, $2,500 in house, and then have around that same amount and just flexible spending every single month. So call it $5,000 or so of spending every month when everything's said and done. And this accounts for taxes and things of that nature. So it gives me the flexibility to live where I want and do what I want to do. Sure. So yeah, let's jump back to the Bitcoin now. I know there was an interesting story there. So so fill us in on, on, keep going on the Bitcoin. Okay. So, uh, I didn't. I jumped into this investment. I'm like, oh, virtual miners. Since I didn't have a, a house that I could really put these miners. And if you don't know what a miner is for Bitcoin, it's basically they use a processor and it tries to uh, break through the algorithm to find this magic internet money and say, yep, we have kept this good to go. That's very simplified. Don't quote me on that. Uh, but that's how I understood it. You basically plug this thing in and you get magic internet money. Uh, well, he introduced me to these companies that you can get what's called a virtual miner. So it's all the benefits of mining these bitcoins without any of the hardware. So you paid them a little bit of a premium and then they, they just have it in there. So you go into your dashboard and you can see them running and saying, oh, you've mined however much cryptocurrency. And I was like, wow, this is pretty sweet. This is easy. I just put in money and it spits out more money eventually. And as we all know what a Ponzi scheme is, uh, if you remember, I think it was in that 2014 time, Bitcoin was first coming about. It was in the $200 range there, and it spiked all the way up to $1,100. So that's around when I got into this. And I probably sunk a good $36,000 into these virtual miners. Uh, the worst part about this is uh, my final purchase where I pretty much you know, went double down, put in probably... 60% of my net net worth at the time into these virtual miners. Yeah, I was probably close to 40,000 or 40% into these virtual miners. They didn't actually give them to me. So I actually called their customer support two days before the company went under and just disappeared off the face of the earth. And it was revealed to be a Ponzi scheme. So I was down about $36,000. Oh man. The, the silver lining in all this was, 
Uh, during this time, I had, they had mined, and by mined, I mean they used my money and other investors' money to buy Bitcoins off the market and pay me. They gave me actual Bitcoin. So I had on the order of something like 30 Bitcoins that I had transferred over into an individual wallet. So I was smart enough to take it off the platform, but not smart enough to recognize that I was in a Ponzi scheme. So here these 30 Bitcoins sat in my wallet worth $100 in there. So, you know, $300 instead of $36,000. And then I had to deal with the shame and, you know, the thoughts that I effed up and really set myself back for many years. I didn't really talk to a lot of people about uh, this, you know, big loss for a while because, you know, it was kind of embarrassing. Now I'm fully free to discuss it and the lessons I've learned because uh, I, I got lucky. I did not get good on this thing. Uh, I held these Bitcoins until 2017 occurred and then I logged back into my account when I could uh, start seeing it rise. And these coins went from anywhere from $100 back to that $1,000 which was, you know, nothing. When they were around five, six thousand dollars in 2017, I sold off enough to uh, pay for my car uh, and then make back my initial investment. So I paid off a twenty thousand dollar car with Bitcoin and I made thirty thousand dollars back. And then I just held on to it again. Uh, and then over the course of 2017, as the craziness was going on. It went up all the way to $17,000. Uh, between 2017 and 2018, I sold enough to make probably $200,000 total in cryptocurrency gains. I want to highlight the fact that this was very speculative and is not a good investment strategy. And I want to tell everyone to go to never invest in crypto. <laughs> it's weird because I have one Bitcoin left. Uh, and all the altcoins that spun off from this one Bitcoin that they've given me. And it's this gone one, up. this one, yeah, this one Bitcoin is just one of those things that it is literally just sitting there as a reminder of my dumb decisions. And I have a number where I'll sell this one. If it reaches half of my net worth, I'll sell it. And I'll probably get greedy if it gets 25% and sell it then, but it's just <laughs> kind of sitting there in case it literally all of these projections of Bitcoins going to 500,000, Bitcoins going to the moon. Right. Happens. Right. So I'll just so hold you, this for many, many years and see what it does. Yeah. So you put 30, what'd you say? 36,000? 36,000. 36,000 into it, which turned out to be a scheme, right? Oh, yeah. And then you found that out and you put how much back into the actual Bitcoin? Uh, none at that point. Like that $36,000 was me investing in the virtual miners. Yeah. They, yeah, paid, that they was paid me out the 30 Bitcoins, which I moved to a virtual wallet. So I had control of it, not the company. Okay. So you you, you advise no Bitcoin for anyone? Uh, yes. Uh, I would say no, uh, but I will quote somebody else and say, uh, there's nothing wrong with using 10% of your profile to you know swing for the fences. As long as the majority of your stuff is in safe, known investments, swing for the fences once in a while because what's the worst that can happen? 10% realistically won't set you back. Right. So if I had to say what the allocation I say on, you know, some speculative investing or individual stocks, I'd say it's 10%. Now, I am totally a hypocrite right now because I have way too much individual stocks. But I'm my plan right now is to transition into basically all broad-based index funds, like uh, J.L. Collins says in uh, Simple Pass to Wealth. Mm -hmm. Or if you read the uh, three-fund profile, I don't remember who does it, but just basically the Jack Vogel mentality of, invest in you know these broad based indexes because if you've looked at the uh, stock market from the 19 you know 20s to now it, it's gone up so i can say with a pretty reasonable confidence in 10 years it's going to be up awesome so w your net worth now is 1.1 what was it at age 30 give or take any idea uh Age 30, okay, so I'm 35 now. Uh, it was about uh, $500,000. Okay, so. and what about, I guess what I'm getting at, what about five years earlier? I guess I'm wondering is how soon did you start, right? As soon as you joined the Navy, did you start putting money into retirement accounts? Uh, my retirement accounts, I had Roths, or sorry, I had some retirement accounts, but I didn't actually have them invested in anything. They got me like a 2% return. It wasn't realistically until... 
that wake-up call, the 2013-2014 time where I started actually putting things into individual stocks and eventually mutual funds. Uh, I will preface this in that this $1.1 million, uh, about $150,000 of it comes from my wife, and then the $200,000 comes from the gain from the Bitcoins right there. So you move that needle back and then take my two about $200,000 in reenlistments in there, and I've saved over the course of my military career, was that just shy of $450,000, something like that. So, so you made you made two hundred from Bitcoin. Yes. Wow. And and paid all the taxes on that. In fact, I, I probably paid more taxes on that than I should have. Just trying to be safe to make sure I gave uh, Uncle Sam everything he owed, you know, is owed because of how you move the bitcoins around in there. It's you know I could have claimed a higher basis on that. So I tried to pay. I even paid more in taxes than I should have. Uh, I will tell you. I am not very tax advantaged right now, and my biggest goal for this year and learning is how to be more tax efficient <laughs> on both the selling of my capital gains and just the dividends and everything I am. So that is my next goal. So gotcha. I've made good strides in there, but uh, for all the listeners out there, uh, learn as much as you can, read as much as you can. Once you start understanding the rules, things are very powerful. So what mistakes have you made along the way, Derek? <laughs> Mistakes. Uh, I've held cash in uh, money market accounts till I had probably three, four hundred thousand dollars in just cash doing nothing. Uh, I've been scammed on Ponzi schemes. Uh, I didn't know I could give my wife a spouse IRA. She's a non-working spouse, so I didn't know I could do that for her. So I just missed out on stuff. I wanted to keep control of my cash. And my account. So the military has what's called the thrift savings plan, which is very, very efficient and one of the lowest uh, expense ratios you'll ever find, lower than pretty much anything. Because I didn't want it tied up in there and I didn't understand how I could get my money out, I just didn't use the military savings plan for most of my career. I basically found every inefficiency you could do with the exception of being in debt and, you know, living beyond my means. I, I tried to do those things. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm, uh, like I said, I'm the dumbest smart guy I'll meet. <laughs> so let me just jump back to this Bitcoin. I just want to make sure it's inter- it, I understand because it's, I don't think we've had Jace, right? Somebody on that has had such a significant gains or earnings from their Bitcoin or even really any holdings. I don't think is much in crypto. No. Nope. Right. So y- Go go back and maybe I missed this, so I apologize. So you say it, the initial investment of the thirty six thousand was a scam, but then how did you make two hundred off of it? Okay, so this, in in terms for dummies, Bitcoin yeah, dummies, you like, know, you know how a Ponzi scheme works, right? Yeah, yeah. Sure. Uh, you get more and more investors, and you buy yeah, that yeah. same thing. So this what this company ended up doing was basically they you can buy you can either mine Bitcoin to get more of it, which is basically magic internet money as far as I'm concerned. I know there's some algorithms and high tech in there. The reason I don't invest in it anymore is because I don't truly understand. But uh, they basically said, hey, we're making all this money. You can get back your stuff. And then they bought it on the open market because a lot of people, you know, use, you know, real currency and buy Bitcoin for X, Y, Z reasons. So they just bought it and they gave people Bitcoin. So they gave people real assets on other people's money. Uh, what I did was I turned these real assets, uh, I eventually sold them to other people who wanted that on, they call them exchanges and things of that nature. So it's no different than kind of like a stock market or if you're so like you just buying, got out. You just I took just get, it and got out. I just took it and got out. Uh, I learned enough to figure out what I had to do to sell the Bitcoin. And then I started learned what I needed to do to pay taxes on that. <laughs> okay, so there's people that stayed in longer, and then it all unraveled, and they didn't make anything. They might if they didn't take it out. Some people got there. Yeah, it was a uh, the company was um, Zen okay. Miners. You can okay. read about it, uh, and there's a little bit of a story in there. But uh, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Do you budget at all? I budget horribly, uh, and by horribly, I mean all the time. I have a line item for everything. Uh, oh, so you're right, a religious budgeter. That's interesting. That's one of our, our first few. Uh, I So my wife had some financial trauma that I'm not really going to go on to, 
but I'll just briefly say she has had some bad financial, you know, trauma in her past. So to make her feel better about that, I've always understood the value of budgeting. When I was younger and dumber, I just made sure I had more money at the end of the month. Now I make sure I track everything on there. Uh, I love personal capital because I can link my account to it and see it all. But uh, the military has their own uh, budgeting spreadsheet that they give, which works out great for me because I'm in the military and I can literally just use their spreadsheet and oh, tweak the tweak the underlying things from there. They have they provide really, it to you in Excel or on a specific platform yeah. or what? Uh, Excel. It's it's Excel. Okay. Uh, they provide it in there. Uh, you can find it. It's just the uh, electronic financial worksheet, uh, and all it is it's really designed to help sailors and all any military person keep track of the finances. It just is has a lot of uh, algorithms behind it that was built in Excel, so they can literally just click drop down menus to calculate for them. So I'm efficient or lazy, as some people like to say it. And if something's already built, I will modify it for my needs, and that's exactly what there I do. Resourceful is what you mean. So <laughs> let me just uh, let me just ask Energy you some efficient. rapid fire. Yeah, exactly. Some rapid fire questions here. So, how old were you when you became a millionaire? Uh, I was 35. It was this year I became a millionaire officially. Uh, interesting story about that. I started off the year uh, with about uh, $700,000 this year. I've had a wow. giant gain this year. Was that um, just more money, more cash put to work or what? That's exactly that. Uh, so I was convinced in 2018, in 2019, that there is going to be a market crash. Uh, and if you remember what I said, uh, you know, making your money work for you, uh, I love to not do that, apparently. Warren Buffett So you, said, put it all, you put it all in like what, April, May, end of March or something? <laughs> March, as, as it was going down, I deployed probably $250,000 worth of capital all during that down. So, oh, yeah. Derek, let me ask you then, when you look back at, at those two years where you thought there was going to be a downturn and you held a lot of cash, are you happy you did that because you had the cash for this opportunity? Or looking back, do you just say, ah, oh, it wasn't worth it. I should have just dollar cost averaged in and, and left it in the market. Uh, I actually was dollar cost averaging in that whole time. But I had my wife's money that came in and some of my other money right there. I understand the math behind uh, time in the market beats timing the market and dollar cost averaging. But I psychologically couldn't do that. I couldn't put all my money in and just feel that drop right, right that, at that point in my life. Right. Right. Now, I think I actually have come to understanding what that means. And it is such a breakthrough when you, when everyone was talking about the market dropping during this March of this year, I literally was like Warren Buffett style. People are fearful. I'm being greedy. 20,000 in, 30,000 in, you know, every, every <laughs> and day. And that was mostly in the index funds? It was mostly in the index funds. That's why uh, I have so much in index funds right now. I think I said it's like 450, 500,000 or more, and it just keeps on going as I shift money over. Good for you. All right, so let me just wrap up here. So uh, what's your annual household spending? How much do you spend a year? These last three years, uh, as bad as it sounds, I've been able to spend under $10,000. Wow, uh, well, because the housing's I, been paid for most. Housing pay, housing's paid for. My car's paid for. We eat and cook for ourselves a lot in there, and really, we just... We used this three years in Guam to, uh, we just wanted to save more. So, so let me just give I, you a car. No, I ha I paid off my car. I used the oh, Bitcoin to pay off, off my okay, car okay. this time. <laughs> I wish they gave me just, a car. You just ship it wherever you go. Yep. I just ship it wherever I go. I'm going to drive this, uh, Honda fit, uh, into the, into the, uh, ground in there. If you take care of your big, uh, big three housing, transportation and food, it's literally, you can, that's like 70% of most people's budget right there. Yeah. Yeah. So if you control those three, you can control your budget and you can control how much you save. Okay. Any debt at all? No debt whatsoever. No uh, debt. I, the only debt I have is I use credit cards to credit card hack, but I pay them off immediately. Okay. What's been, as much as you're comfortable sharing here, your range of annual household income through your work in life? Uh, it's a matter of public record, uh, the entire time. Uh, I joined as a E3, which was like $15,000, $20,000 a year 
to now I'm a LDO officer, which is for I have my dividends somewhere around 80000 I think I'm going to be about $105,000 this year when all said and done. But I still have tax, you know, with, then there's taxes. So take home pay, yeah. call it 90 some odd thousand. Yeah. Well, amazing. And, and just in closing here, do you recommend a career in the military, in the Navy? Uh, I, I actually really do if you're joining for the right reasons in there. Uh, the military career is very rewarding, but like anything else, if uh, you're not enjoying what you do, don't do it. Find something you enjoy to do. You will find so much more satisfaction. I work with a lot of people that hate the military and they hate their job. If you hate your job, that's a big indicator that you probably can find more enjoyment somewhere else. Uh, but the military has opened up so many doors to me. Uh, so if you don't know, it is a great way to give yourself time to figure out what you're going to do with your, when you're an adult. Yeah. Uh, ask me when I become an adult what I'm going to do, and I'll tell you in 10 years. <laughs> well, thanks for your service, obviously, and, and, and thanks for coming on. So just in closing here, where can people find you or reach you or get in touch with you if they'd like to? Uh, right now I have a website. It's uh, a Mustang on Fire. Uh, you can just email me at Mustang at a Mustang on Fire. I will tell you I focus on my main job of the military career, and that's just my hobby there. But feel free to drop me an email there, and I'll get back to you uh, when I can, uh, and uh, stand by for more content to eventually show up on there yeah, <laughs> and trying to yeah. teach my wife and uh, all my other, uh, military folks and just anyone who's interested about that sort of stuff. Yeah. Good for you. Well, thanks for coming on. Congrats on your success. Thanks for sharing your story again, everybody. That's Derek net worth of over a million dollars, 1.1 and deploying a lot of cash and 200,000 gains in Bitcoin. Pretty interesting stuff. So Derek, thanks again for coming on. Really appreciate it. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Derek. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.